Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, happy new year to you uh, when it happens, because it's currently Wednesday the 20th of December, but I think <laughs> I think we can project ourselves forward, Doctor Who style, and, and kind of imagine that it is the new year, and that we've had a lovely Christmas time and maybe got some points. We'll all be back to watching football again in the Premier League and the Championship and probably getting more angry than we should do about how Palace and Brighton have played. You'll probably be upset because McAllister's already decided that he's going and he's not going to see out the rest of his contract or play for you again. But uh, Happy New Year to all our listeners. We hope you had uh, a lovely Christmas and a pleasant New Year's Eve. And it's a pleasure to be with you for the last of our seasonal specials. It's a questions show today, Kieran. We have questions. Have you got any questions, Kieran, before we start? It always occurs to me that I never ask you that question. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm question-free. Um, I've just about finished marking my exams, uh, I hope. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be s- settling into the new year. So does this mean you've got exams to mark over Christmas? Yes, I mean, it does. Or you had, sorry, you had exams. You've been marking exams over Christmas? Yeah, 1,500. What? 15... Whose exams are you? Are you just collecting random exams to mark? Are they all accountancy ones? Are you doing like train drivers and and? No, sadly, no. So all, all accounting uh, exams. Yeah, that, that's that's what we do at university. Yeah, because because people say, oh, you've got a great life at university. Uh, you, you you don't teach all that often. I say, well, yeah, but we, we do other stuff as well. No, I, I get that, Kieran. I get that you and I, I always have got no truck for those people to sell. Or teachers, they have six weeks off. GPs, they only work. They, they don't. They're never not working, basically. But I, I didn't realise, Kieran, that each year started with fifteen hundred new accountants. I didn't realise the account. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't realise the accountancy world needed topping up that badly every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're all good fun. I hope you had. I mean, I mean, if it was me. Because I drink a lot of wine and Bailey's over Christmas, I'd just go, ah, he's he's borderline, but it's Christmas, and I'm going to pass him. Or she's clearly not cut out for accountancy, but I don't want to upset her New Year, so B, that'll do. Is, or you, do you have to be really hard-nosed about these sort of things? Um, yeah, you've, you, you've you got do. to be objective. <laughs> you know, it, it is it is going to be independently checked, so you, you've got to maintain standards. Yeah, I wasn't implying, Kieran, that other accountancy uh, markers are having a lot of Baileys and doing that over Christmas because I realise <laughs> that everybody is, is as responsible as you are. Our first question today, Kieran, comes from Mads Norgard. 
I hope I've pronounced that correctly, Mads. Uh, Mads says, I have a question regarding Todd Burley's takeover of Chelsea. In your opinion, what is his financial vision for the club? How is he going to try and recoup his and his consortium's rather heavy investment in Chelsea? It seems to me that his options are rather limited, but maybe there's a bigger picture I'm missing. I, I've, I think his options, we've discussed this, Kieran, and in terms of developing the ground or moving mm. the club, his options are severely limited, aren't they? Yes, I mean, initially, his, his financial vision for Chelsea appeared to be giving as much of Chelsea's money as possible to Brighton Hove Albion. Um, and <laughs> I thought I heard a disgruntled murmur in the background when I mentioned Chelsea. <laughs> um, so, as far as, as Chelsea are concerned, it, in a good year, they'll probably be generating around about £450 million pounds um, and we have seen some of Todd Bowley's associates say they believe that um, the sky's limit. They, they believe that Chelsea can become a one billion pound a year revenue generating football club. Um, and if they can, if they can find the keys to the magic box, then potentially that could be the case. And, and, and the reason for this is that the football clubs, and you, you mentioned the stadium, football clubs get money from, from three sources, ticket sales, TV deals, and, and commercial deals. Well, you know, the, the TV deal is negotiated by the Premier League and by, by UEFA. So there's not a lot that Chelsea can do at present, although what they want to do is to take away those powers from the Premier League and UEFA and sell the, sell the TV rights themselves. But I think that's going to be quite quite a tough cook to uh, crack mm. or a tough, tough cookie to crack um then you've got commercial um well th- there's only so much money that uh front of shirt sponsors and sleeve sponsors are willing to pay and, and we we've recently seen chelsea uh, looks like they're losing yeah, their sleeve yeah. sponsor um, yeah. uh, which which was a good deal but we said a good deal was, was 20 million pounds a year yeah. as as opposed to perhaps 10 um yeah and that that's not going to that's not going to double your overall revenues um then, then we come to um, match day, and the, the issue, as far as Chelsea are concerned, is that they've got a capacity of forty-one thousand. Even if you increase it to to sixty odd, and you you revamp it uh, in, in a similar way to what we've seen Spurs. So, you know, if if I was Todd Bowley, I'd, I'd knock down uh, Stamford Bridge and start all over again for a bespoke stadium, but. Um, I would also be fully aware that that Chelsea, uh, Chelsea being where it is in London, has has some neighbours who are a filthy rich and b arsy um, when it comes to you know, noise pollution, light pollution, and so on, and therefore they might kick up a bit of a fuss. Um, so, so how they're going to get to this one billion dollars a year, I think, is going to be a real challenge. But that's certainly the the aim of the group um and i think what they're trying to do here is is some form of and here we use the word engagement now you know nfts have have flopped uh, pretty spectacularly but there's still a belief especially amongst american owners can they um can they do something in terms of Getting that relationship that they have with fans. You know, if, if if you take a look at if you if you go hashtag Chelsea um, on on social media, if, you, if you're on Twitter or whatever, what you will see is is that Chelsea certainly have a very diverse and a very global fan base. Mm. Um, 
And a lot of those fans aren't paying a lot of money to, to Chelsea each year. So if if Chelsea have got 100 million fans around the world, if they can get each of those fans to give them a tenner a year, mm. then um, yeah, that, that's, that's your billion pounds. But people say, oh, well, where do they get 100 million fans from? Well, yeah, according to Manchester United, Manchester United have 1,100 million fans. So you know, I, I don't think I'm being unrealistic in terms of, of the appeal of Chelsea in, in particular geographical markets. So that's, that's what they will be trying to do, whether that will be through some form of streaming service, which could turn out to be very lucrative. Uh, if the if the three pm blackout goes, will will the Premier League club say, well, you know, three pm matches can now be broadcast by the club instead of the Premier League, and you know, you, you you start to crunch the numbers. But that's that is the the aim of the owners. It's to double revenues. How they go about achieving that? Um, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be a very rich person. Um, but I still wouldn't sell my soul to Chelsea. Well, you sort of had you sold your players and your manager to them, so you're halfway there, Kieran. Um, I think you've answered my question because you say the ambition is a billion pound a year. So you say in double. So at the moment, their revenue is is half a billion pound a year, presumably. Is that yeah, about, just, just, yeah. yeah, just under. Yeah, yeah. So that is a. I mean, that's a big ambition, Kieran, isn't it? Really. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and we've seen. Yeah, we've we've seen Chelsea. Be sold this year, or that was sort of, that was a for sale. Mm. We are aware that uh, Manchester United and Liverpool are open to offers. Although I don't think Liverpool will be sold by FSG. I think they'll just give away a, a small fraction of the club. I think Manchester United is there's a greater chance of a full sale there. Um, if somebody comes in to Stan Kroenke, if somebody comes in to to Enoch and Daniel Levy and offers them big offers, I, I think those clubs could easily be sold as well. So there's certainly a lot of interest. Um, at the at the top end of football, but football clubs, in my view, are are going for prices which which shouldn't be justified on business fundamentals, um, and, and the whole thing could come crashing down unless we start to see some form of uh, genuine increase in revenues. You, you can't put up the prices of TV subscriptions anymore. You know, people people are voting with their feet. Um, yeah, and we had a we had a question on a recent podcast uh, in respect of yeah you know, the price of football shirts has got a bit gone a bit daft, and and yeah you know, would it be better to cut prices to to stop piracy sales? Well, you, you work out how much it costs you for your your football subscriptions to to BT and Sky, and yeah you know, the the product is great, the the price isn't, um, and yeah you know, we're, we're not condoning it, Paul, but. We, we, we're hearing of increasing numbers of people who are going down the the dodgy stick route from a bloke they know in the pub or a guy that they know on a, a WhatsApp group and so on. You confused me there slightly, Kieran, talking about a question on a, a couple of pods ago because uh, it was 48 minutes ago in real life. <laughs> uh, I got very confused there. On a purely business um, commercial note, Kieran, rather than a, a love of football emotional note uh, even people as wealthy as Todd Burley and, and his consortium if, if it's quite clear that the ambition to double annual revenue isn't going to happen anytime soon do they walk away or are they happy with any improvement or are they happy with just getting something back financially well I mean 60 percent of the the Chelsea deal came from an American investment company called Clear Lake Capital um Clear Lake are uh, answerable to to their investors, and uh, if 
if that growth in revenue doesn't take place, I think there will be pressure to to either you know, get all of your money back or even a slice of your money back from from the Chelsea deal. And um, certainly, if you, if you look at the research that's done on on company takeovers, the winners in most takeovers are normally the the owners of the selling company, which here is you know, in theory Roman Abramovich, but clearly you know the government has has ring fenced that money. So it's it's you know, ideally, if people get their fingers out, it's going to go to good causes to to help uh, mm. humanitarian relief in Ukraine. Although you know, as a separate issue, there seems to be very very slow progress there. Um, it's it's the it's the sellers uh, company that, that benefit, um, and also the accountants, lawyers, and and other uh, professional service uh, providers that that come out of it very well. Indeed, the buying company normally is a loser, and and that's not just look at, that's not just in in football. Um, if if you take a look at what's happened with Twitter since uh, Elon Musk has has bought it for what was it forty four billion, mm. um, I, th- I think it's fair to say that that Twitter's value if he tried to sell it today would be substantially less than that so that there's there's lots of winners and losers um and it, and it's 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 a high risk stakes game um and even very successful people get these things wrong you know rupert murdoch uh bought myspace um i think on on one occasion um and sold it for for you know i think he sold it for a dollar in effect after after yeah you know, i don't know many people on myspace these days I, 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 yeah, I'm not even entirely sure what it is. All I'm thinking of is when back in the day when we were a bit younger, Kieran. If you said Rupert Murdoch had bought your space, I'd think, "Why is Rupert Murdoch buying your flat?" But you know, <laughs> I, our next question comes from Tom Metcalf. Um, Happy New Year to you, Tom. Tom says, "We now have the FA Cup semi-finals at Wembley. Brackets a terrible decision in my opinion. Close brackets. So the FA can earn a few quid if they went back to hosting the games at normal grounds." How much could a club expect to earn from hosting a game? And are there any requirements for ground such as capacity, transport links, etc.? I suspect, Kieran, this is a purely hypothetical question because I don't think that genie is ever going back in the bottle, is it? Um, sadly not. So, yeah, I, I, I understand um, exactly where Tom's coming from. Uh, you know, the reason why the World Cup is so wonderful, in my view, you know, Irrespective of where it's being hosted, irrespective of the machinations of Gianni Infantino, is that it takes place every four years, and and there is that genuine sense of achievement, that genuine sense of anticipation, um, and it's the same with the FA Cup. Yeah, going to an FA Cup final uh, should be the the apex, should be the Mount Rushmore of a football player's career, um, and I think you di- you dilute that. By having yeah. semi-finals there, yeah. uh, as well as the fact that, that Wembley is a pain in the backside to get to and get away from. Um, so, um, in terms of hosting the games, I, I think the the FA would would have to have a day minimus uh, level of capacity, likely to be forty thousand, because um, you know other, otherwise, you know, why why prevent? You know, you, 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 most clubs who get to the semi-final are going to want to bring as many fans as possible yeah. so uh, having a restricted capacity but there's no reason why it couldn't take place elsewhere in london you know we've got 60,000 capacity stadiums there we've got old trafford at 75 we've got anfield going to 61 um, you know I, I think leeds is looking to increase in 50 uh, i think villa want to increase so th- there's uh, there there is i think something something magical and I, and i can still remember 
going to to Highbury in in 1983 for an FA Cup semi final, um, and it was it was brilliant. But part of the reason it was brilliant because it, it was this neutral venue and it wasn't Wembley. And I think that added to to the occasion. Yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, we were lucky to get to Wembley as well. But uh, it, it's I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're, perhaps we're being too romantic uh, about the the. The, the notion of of a neutral uh, semi final and, and the location, but you know we, we saw we saw last year quite often. You know you'd have two northern teams having to come down to yeah. to London for a, for a, uh, you know it, that that makes no sense. Um, whatever uh, in terms of you know what would the club expect to own from from hosting a game, uh, it would be pretty insignificant in in the wider scheme of things because it's likely to be a a Premier League club which is generating income of one hundred and fifty to two hundred million pounds. You know, the hosting fee we're, we're probably talking you know uh, uh, hundreds, a couple of hundred thousand. Yeah, our our FA Cup semi final nineteen ninety four three against Liverpool. I don't think it would have been. Anywhere near as potent or as exciting if that had been at Wembley. I, th- mm. I think what you have to remember is that Wembley back in those days, Kieran, in our day, when there was a terrible shithole of the ground, it was an awful, it was an awful ground, and the new ground is so much better. Yeah, but yep, but, but blander. It's a, it has to be said. It's not. It's yeah. You know, we had a question a couple of pods ago, um, forward slash forty five minutes ago, about from a Palace fan talking about. The semi-final last year at Wembley, and you, you kind of, you, you of course you care if you win or lose, but you care less so, I think, at Wembley. And also, there is that terrible thing for a Wembley FA Cup. And I understand there will be a lot of our listeners listening to this pod going, "Well, thank yourselves, lucky that you get to semi-finals of FA Cups, mm, etc." Mm. But you've got that issue as well that there are three thousand empty seats until about halfway through the second half when the, the corporate fans get off their asses and come back to watch the rest of the game. So, um, I, I, sadly, like we say, I think it's a hypothetical question because I can't see the FA ever going back to it. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Jan Peters supports Dutch side NEC Nijmegen. And he says that we're now in our last year of partnership with Italian manufacturer Legia. Although the kits look decent enough during the last couple of seasons, there have been many delays regarding the delivery of them to fans. Because of this, supporters are angry at the club and the club itself loses a huge amount of shirt sale revenues. Are there any legal obligations that force manufacturers to deliver on time or get fined otherwise? Or is there a way of switching manufacturers during the season at such short notice? 
Right, I won't go. I won't go the full Terry Collier and say ang- angry Dutchman. <laughs> but um, that's a ref- uh, yeah, that's uh, a reference is going to need explaining, Kieran, to, yeah. to so many people. <laughs> it's from it's from a wonderfully underestimated sitcom called Whatever Happened to the Lightly Lads, uh, which examines class and social mobility in England in the seventies, and Terry Collier is a angry working-class Newcastle man who basically has an adjective for every nationality outside the UK and some inside as well. Uh, it's worth YouTubing. It's a very funny uh, piece of comedy material. Of its, I love that series, whatever happened to Lightly Lads. Yeah. I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was yeah, brilliant. absolutely amazing. It was so poignant, the way that one, that Bob's character grasped the... You know, the bourgeoisification, if you like, for want of a better word, of, of Newcastle. And Terry just lamented the knocking down of every last pub at, and corner shop. It's a brilliant show. Anyway, back to Duckside NEC9, Megan. <laughs> yes, uh, right. Um, with with respect to this, um, I think clubs, uh, the, the manufacturers will be able to play, claim some form of force majeure in terms of supply chains um, because there still is a knock-on effect in, in respect of COVID. Um, there, there could be fines for, for late delivery. Um, it, again, you'd have to look at the small print of the contract. But in terms of switching manufacturers during the season, you've got next to zero chance. And, and the reason for this is that the kits are normally designed uh, or, and, and approved six to nine months before the start of the season. Yeah. So so therefore, to to, to, to be able to switch you know, Nike, Nike and Adidas – all that they're going to say to you is, well, you can buy some. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll sell you a spare, yeah, you know, Manchester United away season away shirt from last season because we got a load still, still in, still in stock. But we, we can't give you anything dedicated because they, they, in order to to meet the the expected you know delivery runs, that they're already committed. They're you know, in in April and May, they're already producing the Manchester United and the Chelsea and the Liverpool shirts for the following season a lot of the time because you need to have those numbers. Um, uh, created in advance to to hit the the launch date, um, yeah, you know, when it occurs over the course of the summer, and you, and you can't just produce you know thirty, fifty, hundred thousand shirts overnight. So, unfortunately, um, you're you're stuck with uh, Legia, um, and uh, you the club might get some financial compensation uh, but also from from the manufacturer's point of view it's a nightmare as well because if, if you talk to manufacturers um yet yeah, they, they don't sell shirts from from you know the 30th of december onwards in effect mm-hmm. because people have bought them for launch they've bought them as christmas presents you might have bought one very quickly in the christmas sales and it's uh, it, it's only the price of football FC shirt, which is available, you know, to uh, to acquire um, after Christmas. Uh, yes, it is. But this is New Year now, Kieran. We're confusing ourselves, so it's not anymore. Right. It's, we're January the second now, so as, oh, we, right. as we speak, it is. But when they listen, it isn't. Let's yes. move on. Let's move on to our next question, Kieran. I'm sure the price of football shirt will become available again. Uh, although they're being made to order, so we'll see. Our next question comes from Mark Middling, and I like the cut of Mark Middling's jib. Mark Middling has a very straightforward question. No adjectives. Not about, is he? He's not none, about. No subclauses. It's almost Hemingway-esque in its directness. 
Um, basically, Mark Midlington says, how much did Port Vale and Mansfield make from the League Two playoff final last season? 185 grand each, Mark. Thank you very much. Jude McCarthy has a question for you. And Kieran, consider this a little late Christmas present from me and producer Guy. <laughs> a, 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 proper, a proper little accounting present that we left under the tree that you forgot to open in your excitement at getting your 1973 Brighton kit and a year's free quinoa on subscription. Jude McCarthy says, last season my club Aston Villa signed Philip Coutinho for £17 million and Bubakar Kamara on a free transfer, which got me thinking about how they would each affect FFP. Say we signed two players, both on four-year contracts. Player A, £40 million fee, £5 million a year salary, and player B, free transfer, £15 million a year salary. Both deals would cost £60 million over the four-year period, but is one better than the other in terms of financial fair play? Right. In, in respect of financial fair play, what you would be looking at here is uh, two football-related costs, the first of which is the, the player's salary, the second of which is the amortisation on the, on the uh, compensation paid, which we, which we refer to as a transfer fee. So in respect of player A and the £40 million fee, what would happen here is the £40 million would be amortised over four years, which would give us a figure of £10 million plus £5 million for the salary. So that gives us a total annual FFP cost of £15 million against player B, signed on a free transfer with just a £15 million salary. So the two things are absolutely equal. But I think what the issue that Jude raises here, which is something which I think many fans don't pick up on, is that what he has highlighted is something which the clubs look at very, very carefully indeed. They always say to themselves, what is the total annual cost and what is the total con- cost over the contract um, of, of signing a player? Um, and they take into consideration, and, and this is why we are seeing players like Paul Pogba, uh, you know, winding down his contract. It's why Kylian Mbappe wound down his contract at uh, at PSG. He could have walked away for nothing and had a huge signing on fee from another club. As it was, he uh, he ended up getting a huge signing on fee to renew his contract um, from from PSG because PSG would have said to themselves, if we want to recruit a replacement for Kylian Mbappe, it's going to cost us you know, £100 million transfer fee plus you know, heaven knows how much in wages. So um, clubs are now very much looking at the total cost but players and their representatives are aware of this as well. So I mentioned Pogba and, and Mbappe. We've got the situation at uh, Manchester United that uh, David De Gea could potentially walk away, I think, in June 23, unless they mm. uh, agree to match his current level of wages. Um, and then they say to themselves, well, you know, what's it going to cost us to replace him in terms of not just wages, but also uh, a transfer fee and amortisation? Now, our penultimate question of our first pod of 2023 comes from Connor Sutherland. And Connor says, with the cost of advertising in the Champions League final, I was wondering what kind of impact the 15-minute delay at the start of the 2022 final had on income for the match, as they would presumably have had a planned schedule of adverts in the build-up and at half-time with set prices depending on the time. How would the extra ads that were shown in this 15-minute period impact this? Would there have ended up being more income as there was more time for adverts that reached more millions of people? 
I think potentially, Connor, this would be the case. And this is also a, um, an issue when uh, uh, which we have seen comments about in, in respect of the, the 2022 World Cup, because we're recording this in 2023-ish. Um, uh, no, so we go not, back to the no, 2022 Kieran, World Cup. I can't stress this enough, Kieran. It, we're broadcasting this in 2023. We're recording it, remember, 2022. Yes. <laughs> Um, one of the features of, of the World Cup was was the amount of injury time, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I personally applaud that because yeah. I can't stand time wasting. And the, you know, my 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 rule is that if a player is you know, in the last five minutes, if if they are shielding the ball towards the corner flag, you should just be allowed to go and kick them. Yeah, um, and I don't I don't understand why that rule doesn't take place. It, it really gets on my wick. And, and to be fair, um, you know, uh, was it Kalina uh, encouraged the referees to to add on more time for for time wasting, and, and that that's that was actually quite good. But the broadcasters absolutely hated it yeah. because yeah. broadcasters they like football, but they don't like football because uh, you know if if you take a look at a a normal hour of commercial television. Um, there's normally, isn't it, forty-two minutes of uh, product, and there's eighteen or yeah, eighteen I, minutes of, I, of, ad, of adverts. An, an ITV hour is forty-eight minutes. Is it forty-eight? Yeah, commercial. Yeah, oh, okay. it, it might be more. It might be less on Channel Five and those, but certainly an ITV hour is roughly forty-eight minutes. Right. Um, so. If, if all of a sudden you, you know it's, it's bad enough having forty five minutes in which you can't show any adverts, mm. if the if the referee extends that for eight or nine minutes, can can you see from from the broadcaster's point of view, um, it's it, it's it's squeezing the pips even more. Um, so there, there will be flexibility built into this because especially once you reach the knockout section of a competition, you've you've then got extra time as well. Where um, what what the broadcasters will have done, they will have um, given sort of what you might call shoulder prices that you know, in the build-up to the match, th- these are the, the advertising rates. At half-time, it goes up to X um, at full, between full-time and when, when the pundits come on. Um, so it, there, there will be a series of prices and, and there will be arrangements made with individual um, commercial partners and, and marketing companies as to as to who is prepared to pay for those extra adverts um, at those potential uh, you know high high volume of eyeballs times. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to point out Kieran, it's only time wasting when other teams do it. When your team does it, it's game management. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's very interesting because what you'll see on ITV is they will they will shunt the news backwards if they have to. Mm. If the game, you know, the, the news will come up in, you know, there's, there's no question that they will go to the news at 10 o'clock if they're losing advertising time because of uh, the referee adding 10, 12 minutes, which did calm down in the sort of second week of the World Cup and then went back up again. It, it, I'm not sure what the regulations are now. It used to be, certainly only two or three years ago, as I've been there when it's happening, that... During a, a big game or an exciting live event, you would have advertisers trying to outbid the, adver- the adverts that were already bought. If you like, they would they would be going to ITV. It's like a, an auction room saying, "Look, this wow. is yeah." You know, there's 20 million people watching this game. We don't care what mm. advert you've got lined up. We'll we'll pay more money for it. Um, and similarly, if there's a really dull game going on, you will have ITV trying to sell a little bit of extra advertising time. Because people don't want it. It's, it's a really 
complicated, interesting process. It's not as simple as, uh, right, you've got a three-minute commercial break. These are the commercials that are going to be shown. It's often fluctuating right up until the commercial break actually happens. So, again, if we knew somebody, I'm sure I must know somebody, Kieran, who still works in that. But it's it's one of those things that we all take for granted, but it's actually much more complicated than we really think it is. The only important thing that is is a given is that whatever their you know, commercial broadcasters have to show a certain amount of news every hour, but mm. they will they will take the fine for not doing that rather than lose the adverts because the game's overrunning. Now, our final question, for those of you who have been paying attention to Producer Guy's strategy over these uh, special Christmas and New Year pods, is about kits, even though, bizarrely, our kit isn't available, so there's no point leading in to that spiel that we've been doing. But it comes from Matthew Riley. And Matthew is a friend of the show and has written a Mm. wonderful book about kits called Kit and Caboodle, which we can highly recommend, all the profits of which are going, I believe, to Exeter City's women's team. And Matthew Riley has a question about kits. Matthew says, with the increasing ability of fans to design and produce concept kits and the huge popularity of retro shirts, do you see the market for standard club kits shrinking over time as manufacturers consider revisiting the sums front-loaded to clubs for often bland new designs? Um, I would. The romantic in me says yes. The realist in me says no. And, and the reason why I say that, Matt, is that um, fans want to be the fans of... Crystal Palace, Manchester United, Brighton, Ove, Albion, Rangers, Liverpool, Chelsea, whoever it's going to be, they want to show that they're fans of that club in 22-23 or 23-24. And there's also an element of of bragging rights when it when it comes to to wearing kits. You know, I've, I've sort of stopped buying kits now, but sometimes sort of. I, I succumb. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> you, what you've done is sort of uh, stop telling the Baroness you're buying kits, Kim. That's what you've done. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the Baroness gets very upset with, with my kit draw, drawers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, th- there is always the, the sense amongst many fans is that they want to replicate what they're seeing on the pitch. Yeah. In terms of of the kit, and and I know that that yeah you know, that some clubs will actually say, especially if it's well normally if it's an away match, yet you know, for this match we are wearing the second kit or the home kit or the third kit or whatever it's going to be, so so that fans can feel that that extra sense of uh, togetherness with the club, um, and that they are they are fashion items, and also there's there's an element of of the herd. When it comes to football kits, um, that you know, if, if you if you, if you know that you're playing at home, you, you want to wear your regular home kit because the majority of people will be doing that. Um, I, I do think we see more diversity in terms of kits than we have in previous years, but they still tend to be the the, the real deal. Um, in terms of of retro shirts. The manufacturers themselves are now sort of dipping their toe, and the clubs are dipping their toes into retro shirts, which you can find in in club mega stores because, uh, again, they tend to be either iconic kits or reflections of iconic seasons, um, and they tend to sell. If, if you talk to people, they tend to sell in addition to the regular home shirts, rather than they're not substitutes; they're complements, and, and th- this increases your overall volume of sales. 
I have to say, I, I really enjoyed the World Cup. I didn't particularly want to at the start, but I really enjoyed the World Cup. But one of the things I found very interesting looking at fans, uh, and if you looked at the Argentina fans, the Morocco fans, France fans in particular, not so much the Morocco fans maybe, but certainly Portugal, Spain, even England, their fans, and they were, apart from Argentina, they were there in fewer numbers than they would be at a European tournament. But very few of they all had national team shirts on for the most of them. Mm. Very few of them had the modern version. It's mm. like if you look at the Argentina fans, so many of them had 78 kits, 86 kits. England, you can go back through every World Cup in Euros. The same with France. You saw far more many uh, France fans with the lighter blue kit than you did with the darker one. And I, and I don't know whether that's a generational thing, that you wear the kit of the the, the time when you were growing up or, or whatever, but you, you saw very few sets of fans wearing the most up-to-date kit. I, I, I agree with you entirely. I, I think there's there's two uh, there's two drivers of that. Uh, first of all, it was very expensive to get to this year's World Cup. Uh, so therefore, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in terms of demographic, it, it was – People who were perhaps a bit more, a bit older, um, not necessarily mature, um, and and therefore, you know, if if you're an England fan, you, you think of Italia ninety, you you think of you know the sixty six kit or and so on. Um, you can absolutely understand it from the perspective of an Argentinian fan. Uh, the, the the French kit, I, mean, I I I love that French shirt, um, but. Um, you can understand why French fans might feel that it's it's not a classic French blue, mm. and therefore they they they're, they're wearing other ones. And we, we now have the capacity to to buy um, re, you know, re, re, sort of retro shirts because I think there's an organisation, there's a manufacturer called Score Draw yeah. um, here, and I, I went on its website, and uh, you effectively every England kit for the last thirty or forty years. Um, potentially, you, you can get hold of of a uh, of a not a not a snide version because I think there's still some sort of official approval of them, but but a, a replica um, of those years. And as you rightly said, you know, we we do. You know, I, I remember what I was doing in '86. I remember what I was. You know, we we associate football matches with. I know where I was when Gary Lineker got that hat trick in yeah. in Mexico and so on. Um, uh, and you you liked to, to to sort of revisit those former glories, sort of on a on a personal and on a country level, by by buying the shirts um, fr- from that particular era. Which is why you imagine for about three decades to come, Moroccan football fans will only be wearing one particular shirt because uh, yeah. they were superb. They were the, they were the story of the World Cup, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've just had to go back to the top of this email, Kieran, to work out what date it is. It's um, <laughs> it's, it's Monday, January the second, which means we'll be back on Thursday with uh, the first of our normal pods for this year. Um, in the meantime, thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution, that's very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And before we see you again on the 5th of January, I wish you hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, happy new year to everybody. I hope you've had a a peaceful and relaxing time, and I appreciate also that many of you have been working uh, very hard. It's uh, 
uh, you know, diff- different sectors of the economy have uh, have different demands at this time of year. Uh, thank you for everybody at Patreon that does support us. Um, the, the other way that, that you can do that, if you want to show us some uh, groovy vibes, um, is to go onto your podcast app and uh, if you can give us a review, give us what you think we're worth. Um, doesn't matter uh, what you say. You could you could even say, uh, and, and these are probably the, the two of the people who I'd least like to host the show, uh, you could even say you'd rather have it hosted by Jeremy Clarkson and Rose West. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've already broken your New Year's resolution, Kieran, which I made you promise to not say groovy vibes again. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the